Back in uh, San Diego, when I was in youth ministry, uh, one of the things that we'd like to do every once in a while is we'd bring the, bring the uh, students uh, out paintballing. And uh, how many here have been paintballing? Anyone ever been paintballing, right? So if you're not familiar with paintballs, you go out there and there's different courses, two teams, and you get these air compressor guns and you shoot these little paintballs at the different team and you're supposed to capture a flag and all this. And, uh, you know, obviously sometimes if you get hit, it's an obvious hit and you've got to sit out. It's like, it's really like, it's like grown-up tag, basically, right? But there's this, there's this one rule because you're in, you're in the jungle or you different things. Sometimes there's bushes, sometimes there's trees. And you can be kind of going at it with, with the other team and stuff's flying all over the, all over the place. And they have this rule because uh, they have referees walking. So if you think you hit somebody, you call a ref over. And he, and he calls timeout, and, and what he'll say, what he used to say to us is, check yourself. Because there was a rule that if you had more than like a quarter-sized paint on you, you were technically out. But in the heat of the game and in the heat of battle, we would just be going at it. And someone would say, I got you. No, you didn't. You know, it missed me, right? And so they'd call the ref, and the ref would say, stop. And he would say, everyone check yourself, right? And then you would check yourself, and, you know, sometimes there was nothing, Sometimes there was something. Sometimes there was something and you looked around to see if anyone was looking. <laughs> right? And, and it was kind of an honesty moment. It's a, the, the game is based on integrity, right? There's some integrity to it to make it all happen. And in that moment, that, that phrase has stuck with me really almost 30 years of, of walking with the Lord, this check yourself. Check yourself moment. Because as we go and as we're living our lives and things are flying and, and we're just doing the best we can, sometimes there's moments where, where God wants to call a timeout to us and he wants to have you and I check ourselves. And, and that, that can be kind of tough. Sometimes it's like, oh, okay, whew, good. Other times it's like, oh, man, really? I don't, I don't even remember that where I got that, right? And, and then when you see something that maybe shouldn't be there spiritually in your walk with the Lord, then you're either going to, you have a choice. You can confess it or you can start to do this. Well, and look around. And I guess I'm, I, I can just kind of cover that one up, right? Check yourself. And, and as we've been looking at grace, and specifically how do I appropriate God's grace into my life daily, we're kind of transitioning into sort of a check yourself wave here, a check yourself series. Because honestly, you know, I don't fool myself to, to know everything that's going on in all of your lives. I, when I'm up here, I really am dependent on God through his word and the Holy Spirit to speak truth and to honestly have you check yourself. Not because I said it, but because the word of God and the spirit of God says this is what's going on. This needs to be addressed. It's a check yourself moment. And, and we've been looking at grace and trying to think, okay, God, how, what is this grace all about? We, we talked about it in terms of salvation, that we're saved by grace. It's unmerited favor, right, in the salvation sense. Nothing you can do to earn it. Wonderful. But then we've seen through the Apostle Paul that he was learning how to live by grace. 
when Jesus said, my grace is sufficient, right? He, he told us that God's grace was not in vain, that he was actually doing some incredible things. So grace isn't just for salvation. Grace is for actually right now, present tense, right? And I, I shared with you kind of this illustration last Sunday that, that God's grace, okay, for, in sanctification, God's grace is always on. It's always on. And what we're looking at starting last Sunday and the next few Sundays is how do I position myself to be in it? Right? Because if you're familiar with these types of heaters, they're pretty well made and and the heat is pretty much right here. Right? And so if I want to experience and enjoy the heat, I have to position myself. Right? And it's kind of the same thing with, with God's grace daily. How do I position myself to receive what God wants to give continually? He just wants to give, give, give. How do I position myself? Because as, as weird as it sounds, oftentimes we find ourselves, and we're like, why would we do that? Why do we do that? Well, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. If, if God's grace, God's supernatural enabling, supernatural power is always on, and it's there accessible for me as a child of God. And all I need to do is position myself to be and experience it. Why don't I? Why wouldn't I? Right? And, and when we're looking at that, and, and we've seen that kind of the, the core of why maybe we're in and we're out, we're in and out fundamentally, is pride. This issue of pride. I love this session. Before we get there, we're going to look at... Kay Arthur has this wonderful definition of grace. She says, grace is more than unmerited favor. It is reality. By grace you live. By grace you please God. And by grace you are freed from religion and released into a relationship with your heavenly father. Grace is always based on who he is and what he has done. Grace is never based on who you are, apart from him or on what you are. Can do. So this grace, it's foundational. If we don't get grace, our Christianity often just kind of slides into best effort, best intentions, be a good moral person until I go meet Jesus. All good effort, good intention. If you're not careful, if you don't understand grace, if you don't understand that God has something, right? Second Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need. For a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everyone say everything. Everything. That's his grace. It's another, this is just another way of saying God's grace. He's given you and I as children of God everything we need. Everything. That's what the word of God says. Everything. We need to live a godly life. Question is, are we positioning ourselves to receive it? Do we position ourselves daily, moment by moment, to receive the everything because it's there for the taking. It's literally there for the taking, right? We've seen the diagram. You've seen this diagram. Grace is in the center of everything. Every area of your life, every area of my life, grace is the foundation. It's the source. Should be anyway. If we're here, I can position myself to receive God's grace for my family, for my marriage, for my relationship with my kids, for my schoolwork, for my career, everything. Am I positioning myself in God's grace for every year of my life. Right? Jesus says, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go 
freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life or abundant life. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Why aren't you experiencing the abundant life? Not that there's no trials, not that there's nothing, but, but deep joy, deep contentment, deep strength. Why aren't we experiencing it? Oftentimes, because we've moved. God hasn't changed. We've moved. We've moved, right? Warren Wiersbe says this, to live by God's grace means to depend on him to enable us. We aren't striving in our own power to do something for him. Rather, he's working in and through us to accomplish the good pleasure of his will. It's the difference between legalism and life. Legalism and life. And that's, that's a line that a lot of us can slide in and out. You want life? You got to stay right here. You want to do it in your own power and your own understanding and you don't really need God because you got it all figured out and you got your rituals and your routines and your doctrines and all that, you really kind of maybe don't need what's there. Because you're good. You're good, right? We talked about the core, the root of why we're here or here, kind of being pride. Pride. What is pride? Pride is a state of mind or more essentially a condition of the heart in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. Instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, a proud heart now looks to itself to decide what is good and evil. This was exactly the folly of Adam and Eve when they determined to disobey God, to become like God. So pride essentially changes that circle to self being in the middle. So now I determine what's good and right in every area of my life. Depending on who's in the center, pretty much is indicative of where you are. If I want God's grace and I want to walk and glorify God in my life, I need to stay here in his grace, always receiving it. If I just decide, well, I got it and I'm good, okay. Then this just becomes an as-needed basis. This now becomes crisis Christianity, right? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Crisis, crisis! I'm good, I'm good, right? Some of us are just, we just live like that, crisis. Ah, go to the throne of grace, pray, 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 pray. Ah, whoo, thanks God. We step right back out and we start doing it all in our own self again. So the real decision we have to start to understand is who's at the center and, and how is that impacting your position? Your position to receive what's, what's already there. I mean, I wish I could just go, I mean, it's there. It's on. It's on for the taking. If we will position ourselves, right? Why is, why is pride so foundational? We saw First Peter 5. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. One another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word opposes is a military term. If you're proud and you're filled with pride, that verse means that God, in a military term, has come up in battle array against you. 
That's pretty weighty. But he gives grace continuously to the humble. What is biblical humility? An accurate view of yourself. The word picture for humility is being low to the ground. It's not beating yourself up. It's not thinking all these horrible thoughts about you. It's just being very honest. You are God, and I am not. True humility, a right view of yourself, right? And we saw two weeks ago kind of how pride might manifest itself. Now, a lot of us here aren't walking around like, yeah, right? What we typically view prideful people as, oh, man, that dude, look how arrogant. Dude's so cocky, you know, kind of got the strut, think they're all that, right? Not many of you are walking around like that. And we're thinking, okay, wait, so if that's not really pride, how is pride manifesting itself? How can it in my life and in your life, right? Where self really is at the center, even though we're serving in the church, even though, you know, how can pride manifest? Well, we saw in Isaiah 51, 12, it says, this is God speaking, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? We talk, one one manifestation of pride is the fear of man. The fear of man. John Piper calls it the pride of being afraid. Ah, yes, I am the one who comforts you. Why are you afraid of mere humans? He's like, who do you think you are? That's what he's saying. You're more scared of what those humans are going to think about you than trusting me to comfort you, is what he's saying. It's pride. You're more concerned about your self-image. You're more concerned about protecting yourself than just obeying me and trusting me that I'm going to be there. See, if, if God says, hey, go share your faith with those persons. Hey, go to Mexico. Hey, serve in the church. Hey, whatever. And you're like, heart's beating. Or if he says this, where's Ben? If he says, hey, open Tuesday night in prayer. Because we had this wonderful discussion. Why are we so afraid to pray out loud in the church? Okay, so to make Betty feel better, how many of you have ever been afraid to pray out loud in a small group? For fear of man. Okay, I'm going to call it out. What is that? Begins with P. Thank you. God's like, really? You're more afraid of what the people in your church group think about you than talking to me? Can you imagine that on, the, on, the, on how your wife or your spouse would receive that? Uh, Mark's like, Kathy, I'm sorry. I can't talk to you right now because I'm really scared of what the guys will think. I'll talk to you later in private, Kathy. I'll meet you every morning, but in public I can't talk to you because I'm afraid of what others are going to think about me talking to you. Isn't that crazy? How often do we do that to our Heavenly Father? He's like, "Um, Betty, just talk to me. They're just eavesdropping. Forget about them. It's not about them. They're just eavesdropping on your conversation with your heavenly father. But we're human, right? And, and, and so for Betty to do this, and we shared, if you were here, we shared Betty's process. Betty's process to learn to pray in a, in a group setting has forced her to be here. Has forced her. That discomfort, that fear, that terror of you <laughs> and what you think of her forces her to the throne of grace. And she's been, I shared this with you before, she thought she messed up really bad one Tuesday and asked me, emailed me the next morning, can I try again? 
I love that. Because she's like, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to rest right here. Lord, you got to help me overcome this fear of man to talk to you in front of them. Right? It has forced her. So one manifestation of pride is, Lord, I'm going to decide how far I want to obey you based on my comfort zone. I limit you, God, in my obedience because anything beyond that, scary. It's very scary because I don't know what they're going to think, them church people. I can't pray like Bill, and I'm not as smart as and, and eloquent as. And right, So what we can do over time, I can't go to Mexico. It's scary, right? So what we do in our pride is we go back to the self and we say, God, I'm going to obey you this far. This is about as far as I'm willing to go. See, we're not willing to go here positioning ourselves. We're just trying to work God into our zone of comfort. That's pride. It, it, it's pride. You know, I, I, Bill has a saying. He says at a certain point we have to get over our bad self. But sometimes to get over your bad self, honestly, you have to check yourself. <laughs> it's a check yourself like, oh, mm. Really? That's a check yourself. Are we limiting our obedience to God just because we're scared of the person next to you? So just turn to the person next to you and just give them a good smile and say, it's okay, I still love you. Go ahead, just say, I'll still love you. I'll still love you and your imperfections. We're not, you know. We get all twisted. It's like if we mess up in church, like the tribe is going to vote you out. I'm sorry. We're going to have this like ceremony and we're going to distinguish, extinguish your flame. I'm sorry, you didn't pray well enough. The tribe has voted you out. I mean, where do we pick up? We're so trip, we, we trip. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. What, honestly, it's just pride. It's just pride. I, I was reminded to talk to my oldest daughter. This happens all the way. It's like, I don't even call it pride. It's even peer pressure. My oldest daughter was a freshman. She made the volleyball team at Nordoff. And part of the, they would warm up after school. And then the coach would say, okay, take a warm-up lap, and they're supposed to go out the gym, the back, and run the fence on the backfield of Nordoff, around the softball, and then come back. She's a freshman, around all these upperclassmen, seniors. They're all practicing together. She comes home. She goes, Dad, you know what they're doing? The coach tells us to take the warm-up lap, and we're supposed to run the whole backfield. But you know what the team does? They go out the back door, and they hide behind the gym. For like five or ten minutes until they think they've been gone long enough. And then they all get up and they run in the door. And she's like conflicted. She's like, what do I do? I'm like, what are you supposed to do? What do you think you should do? I know, I'm supposed to run. But dad, they're seniors. And they're, what, and, and we were working through this. And we are working through this. And, and she, she, she realizes the conviction is she needs to. To do what the coach, out of honoring God and honoring the coach, she is being dishonest. It's being deceitful. So she says, okay, next time. So I pick her up. And she goes, oh, you won't believe. My heart was beating. And the skit came. And, she goes, and we all went out the door. And I was running. And I knew they all went that way. But I closed my eyes and I kept running. <laughs> and she goes, you know what the crazy thing is, Dad? One of the one or two followed me. What? 
one or two had the same convictions and were struggling, followed her lead. But she was terrified and had to work through stepping into, oh, this is scary. Right? And then, and then she had to come all the way back and then meet the, meet the group waiting. No one ever condemned her. No, no, there was no, nothing about her said too overtly to her. I mean, it was fine. They just said, fine, you run it. We'll just wait for you. But a few were empowered by her example. And I love that because there are some people in your life, if you will step out of your comfort zone and step out in faith and rely on God's grace, by golly, you're going to turn around and some people are going to be behind you. It might be your spouse. It might even be your kids. We're like, I knew I was supposed to do that. They'll follow a lead. They just need someone to break the ice because they're just not there yet. Okay, I want to encourage you. Yeah, your heart's going to beat. When God calls you to obedience, yeah, yeah. get out of the boat, walk on water, yeah. You got to stay here. Often does this happen to me every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning. It's a choice. It's a choice, right? Last week we also saw pride manifest itself in self-sufficiency. Psalm 10.4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. We talked about self-sufficiency and the challenge that in our culture we're raised to be self-sufficient and independent adults who don't need anybody, who, who, who leave and cleave, right, who are independent of mommy and daddy and all this. And so we, we kind of develop this independent spirit, this self-sufficient spirit, and then we become saved and God says, no, without me you can do nothing. What do you mean without you? I can do nothing. I was pretty darn good. I've been getting along pretty well, God. What do you mean? I can do nothing. Yeah. In the spiritual world, in the things that matter, right? And so we have this battle. Church at Laodicea, right? To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold, hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Self-sufficiency. We get blinded. We get deceived. I got it. I'm good. This was in church. Jesus calls out an entire church for their self-sufficiency, their self-reliance, right? Two pictures from last Sunday where Atlas and the statue of Jesus, right? Do we have those, I? We were talking about those of us who were raised to sort of carry the world on our shoulders, right? New York City. One building has Atlas. Across the street in St. Paul's Cathedral, there's a statue of nine-year-old Jesus holding the whole world in his hand. And last week we were challenged with how many of us are just Atlas. You just, you just decided, boom, I got this. And you're tired, but you're not going to quit because you're independent. You're self-sufficient. I got this. And how many of us would humble ourselves and say, oh, wait, <laughs> the Lord's got the whole world. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be struggling with that. 
And it takes humility to say, right? Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. And today there's a third element of pride that, that I've seen in my own life, in my own walk with Jesus, and, and, and I know is very common in the church. And it's kind of based on this thing called righteousness, right? Romans 5.17 says this, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The gift of righteousness. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, we've gone over righteousness, the gift of righteousness. Really, righteousness means just to be in right standing, right? To be in right standing with somebody. And, and in this sense, to be in right standing with God, okay? We understand Again, through the Gospels, that you don't earn your righteousness. The Bible says we're actually clothed in the righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be for us, talking about Jesus, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3, Apostle Paul, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So biblically, there's a, there's a truth called positional righteousness. Everyone say positional. Positional, right? Okay, so Mark, can I use you? So positional righteousness is this. Mark comes to the place in his relationship with God where he understands that he cannot save and save. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. He can't, his, there's nothing he can do to earn his righteousness, right? To be right with God, no works. By faith, he rests in Jesus, right? Those verses essentially just mean that right now, positionally, Mark is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. So right now, if you're a believer, positionally, you are clothed in the righteousness of, which means, which means God loves you. God likes you. He's happy with you based on your position in Christ. As you sit here, God could not be more pleased with you positionally because when he looks at you, he doesn't see all the stuff you're trying to do. He sees the robe of his son. That's freedom. That's where we've got, you've got to live there. You've got to understand God's grace flowing to you that right now, as you sit here as a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus, God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you. He's happy. See, some of you are still trying to figure that out. Because you think God is always somewhat disappointed in you. You're somewhat, you live in somewhat like half empty God, I never measure up. I'm on God's JV, right? We live in this sort of Christian belief that God somehow is somewhat disappointed in us all the time. That's not true. The Bible says you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ positionally. Amen? Amen. Come on, some of you, I mean, you just got to, I mean, some of you have grown up so performance-oriented, 
so conditional love oriented, so like if then oriented, so like out of the cool group. Some of you were bullied. Some of you just have been striving to get into the in crowd your whole life. And this is still hard for you to accept. You still don't believe you're in the in crowd. See, Jesus, when he's, his boys went out on a mission trip, they came back all happy. Hey, the demons, we're casting out demons, we're healing people. What did Jesus say? Don't rejoice in all that stuff. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. See, the church, we have to come back to the very basics that if you're a believer right now, your name is written somewhere. Your name is written somewhere. You're, he, he's happy with you. The happy emoji comes, comes with you next to your name. You got to settle the issue. You got to stop trying to earn it. You're already in. You're, you're in the in. You can't get much more in because it's his in. Okay? Now, how do we get to pride from here, though? Well, this is, this is, thank you, Mark. You can actually wear that if you'd like. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. We have positional righteousness, and yet in 2 Timothy 2, it says this. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we have positional, but now we're called to pursue it? Yeah, what does that mean? It means that we are to be intentional, proactive, make daily choices in God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to live out our positional righteousness, to make our positional righteousness practical in the choices we make, kind of just to be like Jesus. To pursue righteousness is to reflect who I am positionally, in a practical world, and just living practically, right? I pursue righteousness by living rightly. What's the basis of my living rightly? The word of God and the power of God. That is, that's what it is to pursue righteousness, right? Here's where, here's where it gets really kind of sticky, though. I remember when I got saved and, and I was just celebrating positional righteousness. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Name, oh, it was just, I was just so like, ah, oh, whoo. Having grown up in the uh, Roman Catholic tradition and understanding all the works orientation of that, and understanding now grace, right? I was like, oh, there was this season like, whoo. I love worshiping. I love being able to sing to my father. I love being able to have direct communication to my father and not have to go through, right? All of this relational. And then my performance-driven background, my religious background, my athletic background, and my academic background all reared up. And I said, well, I got to get this right. And very quickly, I shifted from enjoying positional righteousness to pursuing 
rightness, not righteousness. There was a season as an early believer where I just wanted to be right and prove everyone wrong. I had to be right. Social issues, I got to be right. Eschatology, end times, I got to be right. What's the right answer? Where I come from in the Roman Catholic tradition, I know what's right. And now not only do I want to know what's right, I'm going to go around telling everyone how you're wrong. I wasn't pursuing righteousness. I was pursuing rightness. I didn't want to be righteous. I wanted to be right. And it's crazy. Because maybe what started out with good intentions put self right back in the center. Because when I want to be right, it's because it's about me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And the question for us today is, how many of us, and you know, maybe, even, maybe you don't even know how, how you got there. You want to pursue righteousness, but over time, you've just become more focused on being right and pursuing rightness. You're pursuing rightness. Man, there's, there's some things I came across. You know, one guy describes it as the Bible verse arms race, where we get in these debates and we load up with verses and we just start shooting them back and forth, right? And now everything's a war, and we're just, we're just in this boom, 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 boom. Why? Because we've got to be right. We've got to win the war, right? And, and, and it begins to color everything. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. No! I've got to win the war. Because I'm right and you're wrong. I'm pursuing rightness. I mean, see? And it, I, I, right? It, it, man, some things I read this week really just challenged me. It says, because it's really kind of self-righteousness, right? It, it says, self-righteousness assumes that there is no difference between its position and God's position. Self-righteous folks are convinced that they are right and so right that there couldn't be possibly be anything wrong with the way they see and do things. There is no room for self-critique, only self-praise, pride, and vindication. I've been down that road. I, my goal was not to be like Jesus. My goal was to be right and prove you wrong. Had nothing to do with Jesus after a while. I was just back in, proving myself to be something. It had nothing to do with Jesus after a while. I and, but if you would have asked me, oh, I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. See, after a while, if you're not careful in your pride, you equate your faith with believing the right stuff. And, and you've got to be real careful. There's this quote that I kind of debated talking, sharing but I'm going to share it because it challenged me, and, and it, man, it's a zinger. It's a zinger for me. Anne Lamott says this. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Oh, 
Why does that hurt so bad? Because it, check yourself. Have you been proof texting? Have you, have, you, have you established a position and now you're looking for the verse, verses to support your position? That's, that's what they're talking about here. Is being so absolutely convinced you're right that of course God is on your team. Right? I play fantasy football. You know, if you know fantasy football, you're owner of a team and you draft players and you make this. And I think it's crazy. In our culture today, everyone is trying to draft Jesus on their team to support their position. Both sides of the aisle claim it. Right? Because they want to be right. They want to be right. The challenging thing with this is when you go down this road, there's no room for grace. No room. You don't need God's grace, and you have no grace for other people. Because now it's just about right and rightness and no longer righteousness. See, if you desire to be like Jesus, if you want to pursue righteousness, that'll get you on your knees right here every day, every minute of the day. To be like Jesus in following him, in a follower, that gets you right here if you really want that. That really gets you here. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Being right and debating and arguing and winning, honestly, who needs God for that? I'm a good arguer. I was in law school. I know how. I went to mock trial. I know how to formulate the argument. I know how to twist the evidence to fit. I know how to do that. I don't need God to win a debate. I don't need God to be right if that's my definition of following Jesus. We don't really need God, do we? We just got to be stubborn (laughs) and talk a lot (laughs) and be sharp. Do we really need, you know, it's just so powerful. And then I came across this passage that really helped me reframe that this is a heart issue, right? 2 Timothy 2, we read first verse. We're going to keep reading, though. It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue what? Righteousness, all right? That's amazing what a few letters added will do, right? Faith, love, look it. This is what we're to pursue. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord, out of a pure what? Heart. It's a heart issue. Now he says this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be what? Kind to who? Oh, hmm. Hmm, that might put you but in grace. That's going to put you right here. Kind to everyone, right? Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be what? Woo, that's going to put some right back into the front of the grace. In the hope that what? That God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So here, these verses, just want, just check yourself. Zinger. Hey, you, dude, you want to be all right, right? Check yourself. Now, why are you getting caught up in all that stuff? Who is it really for? Because according to this, I'm supposed to be kind, not resentful. I'm supposed to be gentle. And then, here's the, here's the crazy part in verse 25. In the hope that God will grant them repentance. It's God that's going to change people's hearts and lives, people, not you out debating them. But if you're so focused on being right and winning, and if I could just, I'm going to... I'm going to wear you down. 
I'm going to wear you down because I've studied and I know what you're going to say. Saturday morning, I know what you're going to say. I got you all figured out. And let's, let's do it. And we draw swords. And on Saturday morning in your doorway, ka-ching, ka-ching, ching, 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 ching. Right? That's what you're doing. You're going to battle because you're going you're gonna to win because you're right. And along comes that passion and says, um, be gentle, be kind, and pray that God changes them. Pray that God changes them. You see, it was just such a huge pride issue because I thought I was going to fix the world and change the world. And if everyone would just get with my plan, because I had it all right. And God's like, whoa, cowboy. Who does this? Who's this about? Are you pursuing rightness for your sake? Or are you pursuing righteousness for the glory of God? Because right now, you're not doing the kingdom many favors. Right now, in fact, you might be hurting relationships. Fred Fowler says this, It is possible to be right and be unrighteous. For years, I was an avid fan of having the truth exposed at any cost. I spoke my mind in this pursuit, and even when I was right, I often left damaged relationships in my wake. The truth hurts, don't it, was a common attitude. Righteousness or a right relationship demands that truth be sought, upheld, and spoken. But it must be spoken in love. When we walk away from a tough conversation, is the other person, no matter how convicted, convinced that we love them? Has the relationship been built or torn down. It is often possible to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are right and leave a relationship devastated because of unrighteous behavior. What should be our heart? Because if you're pursuing righteousness, I got to tell you, it's going to be love. The love of God that's going to come out and be the source of it all. Even when you speak the truth, William Barclay says, here then is the test. If at the end of our talk we are closer to one another and God, then all is well. But if we have erected barriers between one another and have left God more distant, then all is not well. The aim of all Christian discussion and of all Christian action is to bring a man nearer to his fellows and to God. How is that possible? When you're pursuing righteousness. And not rightness. When you've humbled yourself and you say, God, I've received your positional righteousness. I've received your grace. And now I want to be a conduit of that grace to others. I want to be a conduit. I want to manifest that love to others through me. I don't want to be the angry, bitter, raging Christian. It's amazing. If you go down this road as a believer, you can become known more for what you oppose than Jesus who you follow. That's kind of the... the, 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 the. I pray that this church never becomes known more for what we oppose over that we follow Jesus. I pray that the number one mark of this church and this community and around the world is, man, they love Jesus there. They love Jesus. 
If that's our mark and if that's our stigma and if that's what people want to even throw rocks about, I'll take that. I'll take that in a heartbeat that we're labeled as them Jesus lovers. 100%. Now, around here, we love God's word. We know that there are essentials of truth. We are, we are uncompromising on some of the core doctrines. That It doesn't mean we're wishy-washy. It doesn't mean we don't go there. We go there. Look at our statement of faith. A lot of countries in this world, our statement of faith would put us in a world of hurt. If you really read it and you really understand the culture, a lot of countries in the world right now, uh, you all would be in a world of hurt with me. So we're not compromising in what we believe. But it's just come to the place where it's the how. And it's the heart. It's the heart. I pray that we don't become a bunch of angry bee writers. But that we're just a people, a bunch of people saved by the grace of God, positionally righteous, wanting others to know his grace and love. We're going to speak the truth in love. But i got to be honest with you. At a certain point, I recognize it's got to be God that changes you. <laughs> in 30 years of ministry, Marital counseling, teen counseling, personal counseling. You know what? I've tried really hard to force people to change. <laughs> I've tried to out-talk them. I've tried to, what are you doing, dude? Are you crazy? To the gentle, it's okay. It's okay. I've realized if I rely on myself for changed lives, nothing. If I am faithful to show them the word of God, and ask and pray that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and changes their heart and their mind to get it, miracles happen. But that's where I gotta I gotta I gotta get out of the center. And I gotta stay here for every counseling, every sermon, everything. I was like, God, I can't I can't. I can't. Caleb Berger says being right will not necessarily teach us about love, and trusting in ourselves may even lead us away from God. That's the scary thing. Season in my life, I was so desirous of being right that I didn't realize my heart was hardening to God and to people. I couldn't have real discussions anymore. It wasn't anything up to discuss. It was just, let's just do this. You want to debate? Let's just debate. And my heart was getting hardened to God and to his people. His people, not even unbelievers. Why? Because I was back in the middle, and it was about me proving something. It was about me and my pride. I was, self was in the middle, right? It's about love. It's about love. Jesus talked in, 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 in Revelation. We'll close with this. He says to the church of Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This is the church of Ephesus. You know what? They're doing church right. They have right doctrine. They have right practices. They're challenging false teachers. They're doing it right. This is a very orthodox, wonderful, right-behaving church. And yet, what does Jesus say? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider, check yourself, how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. 
An entire church is called out by Jesus because they were doing it so right and their heart had lost its love for him. I told the, I told the leaders today when we meet, I said, I, I pray that every Sunday we show up and every time we gather that our first priority is the love of God and the love of people and that we're just not here to do church right. Get the lights right. Get the song right. Get the set right. Get the timing right. Get the announcements right. Get the commons just right. Do children's right. Get the lawn and the parking lot looking right. Because you know what happens? When we start doing everything right and that's our focus, you, all of us will start appearing and we'll show up on Sunday and our lives will need to be right. And we go right back to fear and insecurity. It's just got to be right. the best of my ability as long as God has me here our purpose will be to follow Jesus in love I'm going to step on your toes you're going to step on my toes I'm going to say something that bugs you you're probably going to say something that bugs me you're going to complain I'm going to complain but if we're pursuing righteousness and we're loving God and loving others it's going to be okay because we're all going to be right here. As a church, we will have problems if as a church we step out of this. And then it just becomes us doing right in our opinions and our efforts. If as a church we stay here, God in his grace will take care of us. God in his grace will take care of us. That's a choice I have to make and that's a choice you have to make. And the big P word will always be there. Right? Self-protection, fear of man. Self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, right? If you check yourself and you see that, here's the beautiful thing. If, you, if you've been here and you're like, ooh, ooh, if you're seeing that, here's a wonderful opportunity for you right now to receive God's grace. You can, as the Bible says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, just confess it. Repent of it right now and receive God's grace. Literally, like right now. You, oh, really, 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 really? Yeah, but you can make it right that fast. You can make it right. So we're going to give me an opportunity to just ask yourself, have I been more concerned about being right than being righteous? Right? Where are you on that? Are you pursuing right, rightness or righteousness? Where's you, where are you with your heart? Has your heart been affected over time, over time, to where it's hard for you to receive grace because you're just trying to be right and everything, and now it's even hard for you to extend grace? Where are you? Where are you on that? Guys, come up, let's pray. Lord, Lord, you say that we're to pursue righteousness. And yet, in the flesh, it's so easy to turn righteousness into rightness and just go down that path of self and pride. And, and then our heart gets hardened to you and to others. 
And so, Father, this morning, I just want to take time because you say that you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So maybe this morning has been a check yourself for me and for others. And give an opportunity as we sing this song to humble yourself, to confess whatever pride there might be. I don't know what it is. God does. Confess it. Purpose in your heart to turn from it. That's called repentance. And ask God to forgive you. And the crazy, he will. And you can receive it. And you can position yourself back at the throne of grace. Come back to the throne of grace. And stay there and receive God's grace this morning for you. For you. While we take communion, I just want to show you this quote about Jesus' example. Kyle, you can put that up. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say that any particular ethic, doctrine, or religion was the way, the truth, and the life. He said that he was. He didn't say that it was by believing or doing anything in particular that you could come to the Father. He said that it was only by him, by living, participating in, being caught up by the way of life that he embodied. That was his way. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's personal. And then in 1 Peter, here's Jesus' example. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, if there's any person on this planet who ever existed who could claim to be right... It would have been Jesus. And yet when he was falsely accused and insulted and, and, and beat up, what did he do? He entrusted himself to his father. He didn't retaliate. He didn't argue. He, didn't, he just entrusted himself to his father at the cross. And so for some of us, just follow his example. Follow his example. Pursue righteousness which is just to pursue Jesus. It's just to pursue Jesus. So we're going to open the communion tables. We'll come forward and uh, you can take the elements and go back to your seat. and We'll take communion together. But as you come this morning, come with the heart to follow Jesus' example. Just come to follow Jesus' example. You can come forward if you'd like.